good to be together and to gather as a body and to fellowship and uh, also to send our kids off to do the same, to learn, to grow together, and to be challenged as well. So we are going to turn our attention towards God's word. And uh, I would say we finished Romans last week. We uh, finished, but there's always more to learn in, in one sense. And so continue to uh, study God's word and even look back into Romans and, and really celebrate what God has done in your life and, and what he will do in the future. And we're moving towards a new series this month in September called 3D Discipleship, which will talk about discipleship and how you can be a part of that at Real Hope and what God wants to do in your life through growing and changing you. And I'll explain a little bit. Uh, these next two weeks in that way are really important to our church. And I would say there's most Sundays, of course, we want people to uh, sit under God's word and hear the message, but I would say these two Sundays in particular are extremely important to where our church is going in terms of our discipleship structure, which is really the core root of what we do and what we're called to at this church, and so I'd encourage you to make sure you're here next week if you can, and if you missed that, to go online, and if you know somebody that's not here today, say, hey, get on the website, and really important vision-wise, if you'd listen to what um, we'll teach on these next two weeks. So with that, I'm going to jump into God's Word. We'll be in the Gospel of Matthew. <coughs> Excuse me, I have two waters this morning. So a couple, two things are going to happen. I'm like, going to get rid of the frog in my throat. I'm going to have to leave and take a bathroom break. But I'll be back if I do that. So open up to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to read a few verses in there, and then I'll give you some context in the background. Uh, gospel book, it's in the first part, the very first book, uh, in fact, of the New Testament. As Michael said earlier, there's Bibles back there love for you to have one in your hands to follow along with. Um, this is what it says in Matthew 16, 24 through 28. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that that is the attitude of our hearts, that we would follow the king. I pray that we would follow him in a way that honors him as worthy. Follow him um, means that we're doing just that. We're following, we're not leading. And Father, in our culture, many want to be in charge. Our pride wants us to be the leader. We want to say what goes in our life. We want to call the shots. But Father, that's not the way of following Jesus. And I pray that each one of us would take seriously the commitment, the call to follow Christ. And Father, that you would be honored. Speak to us through your word this morning about what Jesus asks for as we follow him individually and corporately as a church. And Father, um, that you would open our hearts to your wisdom and to your word. And we pray that the Spirit would move, challenge, challenge us, convict us, change us by your grace. And we pray these things in the wonderful name of your son, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. So I want to show you a picture of a man. You may not recognize him. 
Uh, this is Monty Roberts, and maybe you know or have heard of him better as the Horse Whisperer. Monty Roberts is a horse trainer born in California and American horse trainer. And Monty Roberts' father was also a horse trainer. But the interesting thing about Monty Roberts is he was kind of fine-tuned this craft of being a horse whisperer that he could really speak and, and communicate to horses in a different way. You see, his father was a horse trainer, but Monty grew up as his father watching him, and his father was abusive as he felt towards horses. His methods of teaching a horse or training a horse was either to scare it by putting a bag over its head or to beat it into submission, into abuse. And so Monty Roberts grew up watching his father train that way, and he said there's got to be a different way. And so Monty Roberts, when he was 13, actually went out into uh, the wilderness to watch horses in the wild and to see how they behaved with one another. And what he found was quite interesting. He said that when he watched even this young Mustang or this young stallion go into the herd, he watched this interesting communication style between the horses. And when a young stallion would go towards the, the mare into this herd, there was this interaction, and this mare would put its ears up and its head down in the position and posture of great challenge, as if to say, don't come near me. And so the stallion would, would kind of coil back a little bit, and this, this, this mare would put the head down and the ears go up in this challenge position. But then after a while, the, when, when that was established, the mare would turn broadside, which is a vulnerable position, and invite the stallion towards her in a little more way. So he would come, this invitation towards. And then as, as this Mustang got a little closer, back to ears up, head down, a position and posture of challenge. And Monty Roberts witnessed this communication between this territorial posture of challenge and this invitation as welcoming this Mustang into the herd. Now what's interesting about Monty Roberts is that he learned something very crucial about we, what we ought to know in discipleship, the way of Jesus. Jesus was a man of high invitation, but he was also a man of high challenge when it came to discipleship. These two things were very relevant and important to Jesus. He said, come to me, all who are weary, who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He was very open. He loved people, but he always wanted to challenge people. So those two things were in equal parts that he highly invited people towards himself. In fact, we read from Isaiah earlier, come to me and buy. That's the invitation of God himself. You're going to look for all the stuff that you, you thirst after and it will never satisfy. Come to me and buy. Drink from the well. And that was the way of Jesus. But we also read in our scripture reading from Philippians that Paul encourages us to toil and labor and strive and be poured out like a drink offering. There is stuff to do. There is ways to grow. And the message of Jesus has always been, come as you are. You don't need to be good enough. You can't be too bad. Come to me. But it's never been, come as you are, stay as you are. It has always been, come as you are and let me change you. Not let others change you, per se, but let me do a work in your heart through, through the voice, if you will, of the Spirit, even speaking through others, but primarily through His Word. Come and let me change you. Now, we are moving, and we've always been moving, 
in the way of discipleship at our church. And today we kind of want to unroll a new way, not a new way of discipleship at all, but an, an intentional way that we're going to structure how we accept that invitation of Jesus in the body of Christ and with one another to, to walk with Jesus and then to accept what he's doing in our life in this challenge way and say, I want others, Jesus himself, to challenge me in my growth. I don't want it to stay the same. And so if you've come to Real Hope as a place that you feel like you can just come and belong, we're going to talk about that, and I hope you do, but that you can just stay the same, we're going to push that a little bit and say, Jesus wants so much more in your life for you to come in every Sunday for an hour and just not grow. Healthy things grow, and he wants us to grow. And so the way of discipleship is high invitation and high challenge. So I want to walk you through the story in Matthew 16 that we were reading. We read the end part because there's a really great example of what Jesus does in Peter's life and what he sets the tone for in discipleship. We're going to start in verse 13, and Jesus is coming into the district, it says, of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples a question. Now, what before we even go any further, you need to know a little bit about Caesarea Philippi. This probably would have shocked the disciples that Jesus took them there. Why? Because it was a really pagan part of the world at the time. It was a really evil culture. And Jesus is about to give this graduation speech to these disciples in a way before where he's going. He knows where, what, God has, you know, what God has sent him for, and he's going to suffer, and he's going to die, and he's going to do that for our salvation and atone for sins and all that stuff. But he takes them to Caesarea Philippi, and it's this pagan culture. Caesarea Philippi was uh, a land of many other gods being worshipped. Uh, Pan, the god Pan, was worshipped. And then Philip comes along and he renames the city Caesarea Philippi after himself. And then uh, after Augustus Caesar, and he puts those things together. And it is this really gross pagan place where gods are worshipped. And so Jesus brings them into the evil of evil cultures. In fact, there's a few verses away it says, when we've heard this before, that uh, Jesus told Peter, even the gates of hell won't overcome. In Caesarea Philippi, there was actually a place called the gates of hell. At the end of the cliff, the base of the cliffs is where the city was, and there was this river that came out of the cave, and it was said that that river led to the underworld. That's what they believed. And so that was the gates of hell, that underworld entrance if you will and so people would partake in all kinds of pagan activities so here they are jesus brings his disciple to this really evil culture which should be a lesson for us always that we are invited to go out into the world we're not to be kept from that he stands there and then he asks him this question all his disciples who do people say the son of man is why does he ask that because these people worship many different gods and he says who do people say that i am and they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So people recognize that Jesus is someone special. They understand this and they say, well, some say you're this and maybe a fulfillment of the Old Testament. And there's all these things people say about you. People know he's different. People know he's special. The disciples have watched him perform miracles. Others have witnessed this. And he says, who do people say I am in this pagan land? And then he asked a specific question. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? He, he shifts it to the disciples. He says, yeah, people say all these things, but who do you 
say that I am? Jesus, right in this moment, is questioning all of their viewpoint, perspective, heart on who he is as Lord. Yeah, he might be a prophet. He might be a teacher. He might be sent by God in some way. But he specifically says, who do you say that I am? Am I the Lord in your life? Am I the leader? Are you following me? And here's Simon Peter. We love him in the Gospels. He is the first one to pipe up, right? Peter did this all the time. He's like, well, I'll give it a shot. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a whirl. And he says in verse 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He doesn't just say you're Jesus. You're our rabbi. You're my master. He says you are the Christ. That's important because he says you're the savior. You're Emmanuel. You came to redeem. He understands the gospel. He understands that Jesus is not just a human figure in history, somebody that loved them well. He understands that he has always been the God of creation, has always been. He's eternal. He's outside of time. He's been delivered to these people for a time and for a purpose to save and redeem them. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. God is alive. You're the Lord. You're the one we need. And Peter recognizes that. And Peter is, I'm sure, as many of us would be if we gave Jesus the right answer, he's thrilled. Peter has stepped up to the plate. Jesus says, who do you say I am? Peter gets it. And Jesus answers him in verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. That was Peter's real name. Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus says too, he says, you got that answer right. And as soon as Peter gets all prideful and puffed up, he says, but you didn't give it to you. God himself revealed that to you. That's why it's so crucial as, as a theological truth to, the, to know that God's spirit reveals wisdom to us. It is God who gives us the, the willingness, if you will, to yield and to trust him by faith. And God does something in our heart first before we realize we need a savior. He crushes pride. He brings us to our knees in humility into a different posture of worship, if you will, just like that mayor Jesus is there, and if we recognize that Jesus is Lord, that immediate response is always worship. It's a bowing, sometimes physically, but definitely with our hearts in a posture of worship. Yes, Jesus invites, but we first, in our response to the gospel, when we understand when God moves our heart, our first response is worship. God is worthy. He is the living God. God, by his spirit, reveals this. And Simon gets told by Jesus, he says, blessed are you because you get this. You want to worship me. You understand this. And not because your father has told you, but because my spirit has told you. And then he tells something to Peter in verse 18. He says, I tell you, you are Peter. He does something incredible in Peter's life. Peter's name was Simon. And he says, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to give you a new name. Because he wanted so much more, as he does for us, for those disciples then maybe you think today God wants for you. And he says, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to give you a new name. And I'm going to give you a purpose. And he says, on this rock, and I will tell you, uh, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, he calls Peter little rock is what that really means. And it's not to offend him or call him small. But he says, 
you have a new name, and this is what it means, little rock. And Jesus himself paints this picture of himself being the big rock. He says, I'm going to build my church. Now, people have struggled with this verse, like Peter was the first bishop or the pope, if you will. And that's not what this is saying. Jesus is saying, I have a mission and purpose for you to go forward and to spread the mission of the gospel to make disciples, to teach others to follow and obey, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Matthew 28. And he says, you're the little rock. You're going to go out and you're going to be my disciple. But I'm going to be the rock that holds that all together and I'm going to build it. And even the paganness of the world, even the culture, even the gates of hell, even all of this stuff that will come against you will never be able to stand against what I'm going to do in your life. Even when the world tries to crush, Paul knew that, you know, pressed and crushed on, or pressed on every side but not crushed, persecuted but not abandoned. He said, no matter what happens in your life, no matter what hurricane or storm or whatever it is happens around your world, no matter what disease, you won't be crushed. You cannot lose your salvation. If you trust me and follow me, you have the hope of eternity. And he tells this to Peter, and he says, you're going to move forward, and then whatever you bind, or he gives you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He says, I'll give you the keys. Now I have a daughter who is like in two weeks getting her permit. And so that I tell you this for a good reason. Don't drive. All right? But when we give her the keys to the car, there's some trust and authority happening there. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys. I'm going to give you the calling. Here's what I want for you. He's going to pass something on. He says, here you go. Give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, the message of the gospel. It's sacred. It's important. It's powerful. It's a thing that changes the world. And I want to give it to you because I trust that you'll do well with it. And he does that to every Christ follower that comes to him by faith. And he says, here's the keys to the kingdom. You have the thing that everybody needs. What are you doing with it? And he gives it to Peter. And he gives him this charge. And he gives it to the disciples. And then he says in verse 20, which is kind of strange, he says, don't tell anybody about this. Why? Because people had all these ideas about who Jesus was. And most of them were wrong. They thought he was going to come and he was going to overthrow the government. They thought he was politically minded. They thought he was going to do all this stuff to redeem their oppression. And he says, I'm not doing any of that. I'm just giving grace and love and truth to people. They need to follow me. We serve a far different kingdom. I'm the king in this kingdom. These are the kingdoms of this world. And it's a totally different thing. So he says, don't tell anybody yet who I am. But I want you to go forth and spread who I am in reality. A message of high invitation and high challenge. So this happens in Caesarea Philippi. And Peter and these disciples get this charge, this invitation, welcome, and blessing this high invitation. But then this story kind of turns a little bit in verse seven or verse 21. It says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. See, many people thought Jesus was going to be the conqueror. And here he's finding out, he's telling his disciples, I'm going to be going to the cross, I'm going to be killed. Even Peter at some point doesn't realize doesn't fully understand, and Peter took him aside. Now, the magnitude of this verse, every time I read it in verse 22, Peter, little rock, ready? He took Jesus aside, son of the living God. He has just 
said that to Christ, and he rebukes him. Isn't that beautiful? That should be a stopping point for all of us because I read that, and I'm like, Peter, you're such an idiot. I'm reading the story. And then God does something in my heart and goes, no, you're the idiot. Like, you do that all the time because you say you know better. And Peter comes to Jesus, and he rebukes him and says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. He comes at Jesus, and the master, this is like cultural. We don't really even understand this, what is happening. Teachers, masters, their students don't do this to them. And he says, no, this can't be. And he rebukes him. That's what the word is. He says, this isn't going to happen the way that you said it. And listen to Jesus' response. Jesus, who has changed his name, welcomed himself, called him, gave him purpose, was a message of high invitation and love and care for Peter. He says to him, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your minds, your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus, high invitation, meets Peter with high challenge, and he says, you are not setting your mind on the right things. You're being a stumbling block to me. You're being a hindrance, and he keeps him accountable to what Simon has already said. And so there is high challenge right in the face. It's like the ears of Jesus go up, the head goes down in a position and posture of challenge. And he says, don't come near me. In fact, get behind me because you're not thinking straight. And this is the method and message of discipleship, what Jesus was after. He said, you're going to follow me, and I invite all of you to come. But I'll challenge you, and I'll change you, and I'll give you hard things, and I'll put them in your path. He begins then in verse 24 to tell them that. Then Jesus told his disciples this, and we know this verse well. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus spells out what discipleship is. In verse 24, look at the high invitation and challenge in this verse alone. He says, if anyone, if anyone, that is like there's no prerequisite to your economic status, to your education factor, to your background, to whether you were a Jew. He says, if anyone wants to come, there's an invitation there. If anyone wants to follow me, but then he gives a challenge in three ways. He says, you need to deny yourself, you need to take up a cross, and you need to follow. You need to do those three things. If you want to follow me, you need to do this. Jesus says, everyone come. And then he says, this kind of life is not going to be what you think it is. It's not going to be all perfect. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be cozy. It's not going to be all of these things, but it's going to be so much more than you could ever imagine. You're going to have to deny what you want, what you desire, what your flesh wants to eat and be satisfied with. But we learn from Isaiah, it's never going to satisfy. You're going to want to do this, and you're going to have to deny that desire and pride in your own heart to be the leader. You're going to have to take up a cross. Some of what I'm asking you to do, Jesus said, will cause suffering. In fact, he looked at these disciples knowing what would happen to each one of them for their faith. Many martyred, and he says, it might cost you your very life. It's not going to be easy, but this is the way of discipleship. In fact, he says, whoever would save his life, in verse 25, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He says, the thing that you, your heart wants so desperately in life, whatever that thing you chase after, that addiction, that desire, that 
power, that control. The thing that you want so badly, if you go seek it, you're going to lose yourself in the process. But if you lose your life to me, if you follow me in this way, you'll actually find that the greatest joy of life, the fullness of it, Jesus says in John 10, 10, right? Um, the, the abundant life, that full life, the thief comes to steal and destroy, but I have come that they would have life and life to the full. He says, that's what it'll be. It won't be easy. It won't be comfortable. It won't be all the things that, that you might think, especially in American Christianity today, but it's going to be full. That's what I saw on my friend Randy's face when his body's just ravaged with cancer, joy and peace. Because he knew he had a full life the way that God gave it to him, not as full as he would have wanted it in years. But he knew. And Jesus says, this is what it's going to be. High invitation. All are welcome, but it's a high challenge. He spells out then the benefits of accepting the challenge in verses 25 through 27. In verse 26, rather, for what will it profit a man who gains the world and forfeits a soul? Or what shall a man give in return for soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Here's the benefit of following Jesus here. He says one day Jesus is coming back, or we'll meet him before. Either way, he's coming back in the second coming. And he says, I'm going to judge the living and the dead. I'm going to repay what you've done. Have you truly followed me, or have you followed your own heart? We just sang about it earlier. My heart is yours. Take it all. He's going to look at us one day and say, was that really true? Of course, in our sin, we don't do that perfectly all the time, but our desire is there to be led by the Lord, and that's what we fall upon His grace, and that's what God gave us at the cross, but He's going to repay. He's saying, yeah, there are some that say, Lord, but they never knew me because they never did these three things. They didn't deny themselves. They didn't want to be challenged. They didn't want to take up a cross. It was always comfortable for them. When people were out going and doing hard things for the Lord, these people were always just wanting more comfort in their life. They didn't really follow. And Jesus said, that's the reward here for high challenge. That's the reward when you accept that challenge. And there are other examples, many, in fact, in the Gospels. We think of Peter walking on water. When Jesus was a high invitation, high challenge, he comes to them and he says, Peter, come out here. And then we know Peter in that story, he begins to sink. It's not that he didn't trust that Jesus had power. He looked for to him to save him. But Jesus challenged him. Are you without faith again? And that was the way that went with Jesus. He always invited people towards himself and then he challenged them and said, you know, you're not setting your mind on the right thing. And so she establishes this pattern of challenge and invitation. Now, people in the church, all of us in this room, tend to gravitate towards one of those things more than another. Everybody's different. I'm different. I know which one I gravitate towards. Many of us gravitate towards the invitation. We just want to be in the church. We just want to be. We love relationships. We love people. And you come into this environment, what the church is, you just want to belong somewhere. And that's great. That is a wonderful thing. And that is a way... The church operates, and that's a wonderful thing to be in community together. But when it comes to challenge, you don't want to be pushed a lot. Like, you just want to belong and relate and hang out and have fellowship and be a part of the group. But you don't want other people to say anything about your life. You just want to fit in. And so that's maybe the way you lean. But then there's this other group, this challenge group. This is the group in this room that, like, maybe has a little less time for relationships. 
but you just want to get stuff done. You want to do. You're task-oriented. And everybody's different. These are big scale, kind of like down. These are like personality types in a way, but, but you just don't, like, you're not like mushy-cushy. I don't need a bunch of people around me. I just want to get stuff done, and I want to do task. I want to do. So one is to be in the invitation, and one is to do. And so you just want to, like, like, be one or the other, and that's what you gravitate towards. The problem is, and this is happening in many churches, and, and it just happens in the church, is you lean towards one or another. Churches, especially in our culture, are all about high invitation. Everybody could just hang out and be, and you could just show up on, on Sundays, and you could just be fed, and remember, I've talked about this in weeks past, it could be about you, and you could just go to your Bible study, and you could just, like, man, that was really good, and I love that person, and this person's neat, and there's probably some good food along the way at church events and all this stuff, and you just belong, and I just, like, I'm, I love this, but don't get in my face about my business. Don't challenge me ever. And so churches become lazy, and what do they become? Comfortable. The exact opposite way of what Jesus talked about. They become very comfortable places where you come in, and you're like, I'm just comfortable here. You know, I, every once in a while, I might, like, like, throw a couple pennies in the box or, like, sign up for serving over here. And it's not the most convenient because, like, I really like to watch this program on Wednesday nights. And so, it's, eh, but I'll do it. And so, it just becomes this thing. And some churches develop that culture. On the other side, some churches develop this culture of high, high challenge. When they're like, you come in here, you sit down, you shut up, you open your Bible, you memorize the chapter, and then we'll talk. And what do churches like that become? Churches like that become, like, stressful. And it burns people out. And nobody ever feels like they can make the mark. And it becomes legalistic. And it becomes judgmental. And it becomes like, I'm not good enough to be here because I am, like, tripping over my feet following Jesus. And yet these people, these leaders, this pastor runs his mouth every Sunday about how I don't, like, I'm not even a Christian if I don't go to Africa or something. Like, he does that. Now, I'm not saying that at all. Churches that become like that are like legalistic and intense. And that wasn't the message of Jesus either. It's both. It's not an and or. He says, I want to invite you disciples, but I'm going to challenge you. And so he gives that charge to the church. He says, churches that make disciples well, this is what I want that to look like. I don't want it to be comfortable, a place where no one ever grows. But I also don't want it to be crazy, a place where it's so stressful, like you can't keep up with what the church's demands are. And he establishes this pattern of discipleship where you're invited in to grow, and yet you're always going to be met with challenge and accountability. He says they're both good for you. Now, when I look at my own life and I think about my own discipleship journey, the greatest growth I experienced was when people challenged me. When I think of my mentor, Stu, he encouraged me, he invited me, he showed me ministry, he like w said, walk with me and I'll teach you, and he's super wise, he's still super wise, he's gotten wiser since I met him 17 years ago, go figure, and he just says, come and like, we'll like do this together, but man, did he challenge me on some things. I've shared this before, I had numerous people through my life said, you're prideful, you're arrogant, you're like lazy, like all things that I woke up in the morning that day and thought, man, if I could just hear this today. No, those were super hard when they said, you're, you're just like, all you care about is yourself. Like you just want things to come the easy way. And he did that in my life. And I think all those times where I 
was, felt safe enough to come into that relationship with him because I knew that he loved and cared for me. And when he looked at me and said, I'm going to challenge you in this area. I remember when I got a phone call. I was doing youth ministry. And I, I think I've shared this before. He said there's like six youth leaders here at the building. And I was like, I forgot. And so I was at home. And we had family at the house. And, and I was like, can you just tell him? He said, nope. But you can. We lived out of town at the time, so I had to drive in the, the 12 miles or whatever it was, and I got there, and he said, this is your deal, man. You need to learn. He challenged me in these things. Jesus was about that in his invitation and challenge and discipleship, and we feel at this church we should be about that in this way. We, not we the leaders or we the elders want to do this in a way of control, but it's this way of like we want to create a discipleship culture that is not always comfortable, but it's not crazy either. We want people to grow uniquely as God is growing them. And so what we're moving towards is more of a movement, if you will, of discipleship than your typical, like we have groups that you can belong to and just be. We want to be intentional here at Real Hope about relationships that sharpen each other. And so that's why we invest and invite and challenge in this way into this movement of discipleship where we feel like God is moving us is towards relationships that say, you know what, you're invited to like come and follow Jesus and I want to shepherd you towards that. Where each person in our church is being discipled in that way and learns to disciple someone else. For many of you, even as I speak that, you say, that's not comfortable for me. Like, you're asking me to help others follow Jesus? Like, I can't even tie my one shoe in the church, let alone, like, understand all this stuff. And we're challenging our church body. We're saying, you know what? If you call yourself a Christ follower, if you look like Peter said, and you look at Jesus and say, you're the Christ. Peter didn't have all this stuff that he was loaded with in the background. Like, Peter didn't feel, Peter was, like, impulsive. That's what he did. He like said that and it was true, but it didn't come with all this like, I, I feel like I've learned enough to say that. He just knew who Jesus was and he just did it. And we're saying, if you say that about your life, if you say Jesus is Lord, that you understand the gospel, then you can help others follow him. Even as you're tripping over your own feet. We want to create an environment where somebody disciples you, teaches you how to follow Jesus more faithfully. Not the perfect way, because none of us on earth will ever do that in the most humanly perfect way, but a relationship that says, you know what, I care for you, but I'm going to challenge you. You're not setting your mind on the right things. Where that will come with challenge and accountability and change. When somebody can speak into your life, that, that, that they can say these things to you and you receive them, and then you learn in this way and say, I want to go help others follow Jesus like that. Might be by life experience, relationships come together, but you know, and that's why we call it 3DM discipleship, is because there's three parts of this, that you know that I will be poured into as a disciple and that I'm challenged to make disciples. And so what we're not doing is creating a bunch of groups that are comfortable and safe. What we are doing is we're saying we're moving from a group to an individual and we're saying each person should grow in the way that Jesus would want them to grow. And that's going to happen by loving relationship and accountability. That's going to happen if each person has a Paul in their life that they respect, that they look up to. I have one in this church that I look at in some of those ways. And whenever I talk to this person, I just say, like, pour encouragement into me. And, I, and 
each person has a Paul, as Timothy was, and then each person is a Paul to somebody else. And that doesn't mean you have to, like, know everything, but you can move your information downward and say, you know what, as I'm being helped to follow Jesus, I want to help you. And what it does is it shifts the culture of a church. It starts moving away for, I belong to a group we meet on Tuesday, to, I want to identify a person in this fellowship that I could help follow Jesus. Maybe because of my background. Maybe they're similar. Maybe because I struggled in a certain way that this person struggles and I can walk with them. That's happening in people's lives right now. And maybe I go to them and it changes the culture of a church where you stop like signing up for group and you start looking at people and saying, you know what? People in this church have helped me follow Jesus. I'm going to give my life to helping others follow Jesus. And it changes the culture of a church. And it's ownership of one-to-one discipleship and growing each other and challenging and changing each other in the word. And so what we're doing today, and here's what I'd like you, if you have prayed about this and you are asking, you know, God say, this is what I want you to move forward. If you believe that this is your church community and you believe that this is where you want to grow, we're asking everybody to just put your name down on a sheet out on that table, that 3DM table that says, I want to be a part of discipleship. I want others to help me follow Jesus, but that's the invitation. I want to help others follow Jesus. I want, to, I want to grow to the place, and this doesn't mean like you're a Bible study leader out of the gates or you're teaching doctrines right out of the gates. You're just saying, I'm willing to be challenged. I know I'm invited today, and all of you are, but I'm willing to be challenged in my life. Maybe I've like set my mind on these things in priority, and maybe I need somebody just like, like push me this way a little bit, where they put the ears up and say, you know what, you're just, like, you say you're following Jesus, but you're not really doing anything. You're not growing. You're not living in repentance. You're not really humbling yourself and all this. And that's what you'd be saying if you put your name on that list. And so if you've ever been a part of a Bible study or D group here at Real Hope, we would want you to put your name on that list if you want to invest in what we're doing here in discipleship. And if you haven't been a part of that, and, it, and you're just scared to death of all the stuff that I've communicated this morning, but you just know that God is putting it on your heart to take Jesus seriously and to take discipleship and invest your life seriously, you should put your name on that list too. And if you say, you know what, you're crazy. I've been a part of this. I don't like the change because it's uncomfortable. Maybe like you need another week. It's going to be uncomfortable for all of us, myself included. Change is always uncomfortable, but that's where we're moving as a church. We feel God is leading us to one-to-one discipleship relationships. And I know what you're thinking right now, so I'll just say it, and then Russell's going to talk about this a little more next week. You're saying, but why do I have to change? Why does it have to change? I just like my group. Us seven ladies, we just like love each other. Keep loving those seven ladies, if you're a lady in that group. It's uncomfortable, I get it. But we as leaders, as elders, as pastors feel like we really want to emphasize discipleship in a greater way here. We really want to challenge people to grow. We don't want to stay the same. I don't, I, I don't believe that real hope is the same that it was yesterday, but I certainly don't want to be a part of it growing stagnant. And when people come and it's like people have been coming here for 10 years and like, like who are you helping follow Jesus? Jesus gave us one task, church, just one. Like he gave us one task. He said, go and make disciples. This isn't anything new that we're creating program-wise. This is just we want to get better at accomplishing that task. 
We want to get better at truly loving people and looking out for people that come in here every Sunday and say, man, I've seen you here for like two years. Has anybody ever like helped you? That's what we want, and that will change the culture. High invitation and high challenge. That was the way of Jesus. So as you leave today, stop by that table. Put your name. This is helpful for us as an office, too. Put your email, current one, maybe it changed. Put your phone number, or don't put your phone number. We're not going to, like, solicit and call and all that stuff. But also, you might say, you know what? Here's a leader in the church that I respect. This doesn't guarantee that this would be your discipleship mentor or your huddle leader. We're going to move toward these things. They're called huddles. We'll explain that next week. But maybe, maybe you say, and it helps us to say, you know what, this person, I would really love them to help me in my walk. And maybe you write their name down. Maybe that is the person that helps you in your walk, and maybe it's not. But at least then we'll know we have to do some logistical things there. This person you have a relationship with, and you're, you're saying, like, I would let this people, I would let this person say really hard things to me. Or maybe you write, <laughs> I didn't just thought of this, maybe you write a person that you don't want to go near <laughs> You say, like, could I have anybody else but, like, Pastor Craig? That would be really cool. So just, like, write my name and do a slash through it, okay? All right? Because then we'll know, too. But that, you know, I joke in some ways, but in some ways, I, in my own life, there are certain people that, like, I won't take challenge from as well because, like, our relationship isn't as good. So maybe that in the church, and that's, that's normal. That's body life. Maybe there's just somebody that rubs you the wrong way, and you're like, ah, I don't know, I would never really... That's not going to work. But as we leave this day, I want you to just know the way of Jesus. High invitation, high challenge, and we will follow the king into eternity. We were not gonna, we're not going to get this thing right, even programmatically as a church. But that's our heart, that we follow Jesus more faithfully. While someone pours into us, that we would pour into someone else. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to sing, and then we're going to go. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we worship you. We thank you. We thank you that you look on us with such love that we don't need to be perfect. We don't need to know it all. And you invite us into a relationship with your son. That you loved us enough that you sent him to the cross. Regardless of what Peter thought was going to happen, that he needed to suffer and die the perfect lamb atoning for our sin and shame. And Father, we praise you that you loved us in that way. And Father, I pray for anyone in this room that doesn't know the message of the gospel, that doesn't know what you've done at the cross by sending your son to say, you don't need to like clean up your whole life first. You just need to come. And by faith, trust in the son of God, the Christ. And Father, when we do that in the way that you desire, we're following, we're denying, we're taking up our cross and saying, we want you to change us. And so Father, let us accept that invitation in such a way that we say, God, would you just challenge me? Would you tear down the pride in my heart? Would you, would you show me things as David prayed that are not pleasing to you? Father, I pray that our church gets that in this way of a, a culture shift towards letting people into our lives might be uncomfortable, but to help us better set our minds on the things of the kingdom. Father, do your work in us as a people. Do, in your, do your work in us as a place. 
a community of believers who desires to carry out the message of the gospel. Father, I pray for everyone in this room as, as maybe excited or uncomfortable as people are that you would reveal a spiritual mentor to each person in this room that they say, you know what, I want someone to help me follow Jesus. But then, Father, I'd ask that you put on each heart that you want to challenge each of us to say, I want you to help someone follow Jesus more faithfully. With whatever you know, whatever you've learned, tripping along the way, would you commit your life? Would you lose your life for the sake of discipleship and helping others invest in kingdom things? And Father, change our church, change our heart. May we worship and glorify you. We praise you that you are good and you love us. And we thank you and praise his name in your son's wonderful name. And all God's people said, I want to leave you with this as we follow Jesus. And I'm praying for this for our people, for myself. In Ephesians 3, Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'm praying that God would do more than we're even asking or imagining in our walk to follow Jesus. Amen. Have a blessed day and go in peace.